wonderful to see you all, whether it's here or at home. It's great to have you joining with us, engaging with your whole heart on this Father's Day. I want to take a moment and honor my dad. Uh, happy Father's Day, Dad. I want to honor you for your faithfulness, your abiding love. Yeah, you can clap for sure. Your faithfulness, your abiding love, and ultimately your legacy, which is being the first in our family to follow Jesus, which changed the trajectory of my life, and I know Kim's life, and our entire family's life. So honor you today as, I honor you today as my, as my dad. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can turn or tap to Luke chapter 15. We're going to look at the story of the prodigal son today. And we're just going to do it for a few minutes. But I'm going to read the entire parable. It's a long parable, so buckle up. There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So uh, he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran and he embraced and he kissed him. And the son said to the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the, breast, the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and as he came and he drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to them, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and he refused to go in. And his father came out and entreated him. But, his, he, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. And it was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost, and he is now found. As Jesus told this story, he had two audiences primarily. The first audience were known as sinners and tax collectors. People who had known they were lost and they had kind of blown it in life. But on the other side of the equation, there were self-righteous religious leaders who believed they had everything intact, though they didn't realize that they were lost. And so Jesus tells this multifaceted story with these two audiences in mind. And living in the world in which we live in today, these are still the same two audiences that Jesus speaks to. 
And so today I'm going to steer my heart towards fathers. Whether you're a father through birth or adoption, a blended family, or maybe even a spiritual mentor, we need each one of you growing to be more like Jesus. Our world, our city, and our homes, I believe wholeheartedly, are crying out for men not to become more masculine, but to become more like Jesus. This is what I believe the world is crying for. Though they may not articulate it, this is the heart. The prodigal son, as I said a moment ago, is a multifaceted parable. But today I want to hone in on just the word lost. Now lost certainly applies to those who reject Christ. Absolutely. It applies to those who reject Jesus as Savior in whatever form the Bible says that that individual is lost. But it can also be broadened out to mean something a little bit more. The truth is that every single one of us, though we may be found in Christ, still experience seasons of disorientation and being lost. We go through seasons where we're worn out and worn down. How many people do you know here say these words in our time right now? I'm exhausted. Others can be just out of answers to the questions of life. Just worn out by trying to change themselves, only finding that the change was futile. It didn't last. Or in our time, again, it's being an expert on everything. It's exhausting. You know, there are some who have walked away from faith in Jesus. Nobody walks away from faith. Can I make that very, very clear? The only thing we do is put our faith in someone or something else. Every single person on the planet is a person of faith. It is simply in what or in whom they are looking for, faith, or for freedom, for love, for belonging, for salvation. But every individual breathing right now has faith and puts their faith in something. Loss can also describe how you feel when you experience the unimaginable. Like Danny, who shared his story courageously with us, finding strength in Jesus to forgive the unforgivable. Lost so then can be a definition that we can be lost outside of a relationship with Jesus, but it can also just be a direction in our lives that we know who we are, and we may even know who we are in Christ, but we don't know how to get from where we are to where we desire to be. And if there's one word that I would actually use to describe parenting, it would be the word oftentimes lost. In life, in season, just, here's what is amazing. As a parent, just when you think you've figured it out, your kids grow into another season and you have to figure it all out again. And just when you get to the end of that season, they grow into another season and you have to figure all of it out again. And they don't come with maps or little GPSs. Each of their hearts are uniquely different. What works with one may not work the same with another. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15 says, Though you have countless guides in Christ, you don't have many fathers. Let me modernize that. Though you have Google, it's not the same thing. Though you have an article, it's not the same thing as a father. It's not the same thing. And so in Luke chapter 15, in the few minutes that we have, what does God loving us when we're lost, what can that speak to us? What can we learn as dads and as men? I think one of the things that I learned from this parable as a father is that the father lives from compassion and not control. 
the father lets his younger son treat him poorly and leave the house. The father, in the story that Jesus tells, also lets his older son leave. And while he never leaves the house, he never steps foot off the property, the elder son in the story, he never steps foot off the property, but his heart is far from the heart of the father. See, there's a way in which we can leave when we run, and there's a way in which we can leave where we stay and we just absolutely disconnect. And Jesus tells a story about two different types of sons. The father displays this extraordinary, unconditional love and compassion. But the love of the father is also has this bounded restraint because we read about in 1 Corinthians 13 that love is not self-seeking. And so while God is everywhere and God can do whatever God wants to do, there is something about the restraint of the love of God that will let us wander, will let us run, will let us do what we desire to do in order to see him, who he really is. You know, as fathers, this is such a tough tension with our kids trying to figure out unconditional love and bounded restraint. It is one that I know that I have treaded up upon imperfectly and still do today. And so I thank my kids for their patience and their grace. To understand the significance, though, of what this father does, we need to look exactly what their younger son did in requesting and then squandering the inheritance. The right to dispose of the inheritance was strictly forbidden under law until the father's death. And so to... For the younger son to say to the father, give me my share of the inheritance now, it is literally to say, I'm treating you as though you are dead to me. And yet the father still looks for the son as the son runs. The father doesn't chase the son down the road. The father lives with bounded restraint, but always looking for his son. In every parenting relationship, how many of you know that we need the parents to be the parents and the kids get to be the kids? This doesn't make it fair. It makes it healthy. One thing I know in my, one thing I know to be true in my 21 years of being a father is this. What you're looking for in your kids, you'll find. What you're looking for, you'll find. The younger son has the time of his life until he has a genuine need. And the genuine need the younger son has isn't power, isn't money, isn't sex. He's had now his full of those things. But there's one thing that this younger son needs as he goes and he squanders everything. The one thing that he needs and the one thing that he doesn't have is the gift of home, the gift of belonging. He's not only lost in his mind, in his reality, he has treated his father as though his father was dead. As we read a moment ago in Luke 15, verses 17 to 20, it says, But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Pause. He has said nothing that is untrue. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him 
The father saw more than a lost son and a wayward son. The the father also saw in his son the story of redemption. As I said a moment ago, dads, what we look for, we're going to find. Sometimes we got to see with eyes of faith and not just our own eyes. And it says that the father ran and embraced and he kissed him. The father again sees the son from a distance. And what does he do? He moves from compassion for his son. You know, compassion is not so much what you say as what you do. And again, my kids could attest to the fact that I constantly need this as a reminder as a dad that the father says more in this moment with his touch than with his words. And I need reminder over and over and over again that sometimes touch beats teach. Sometimes it's not a lecture, it's just a hug of love. And I need to remind myself that again and again when my kids are speaking to me and their eyes are rolling back in their heads like, oh, another lesson, one more metaphor. No, 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 no. What does Jesus say for you and I as, as, as men, as fathers? Again, this is applicable to all, all of us, but I'm just steering here on Father's Day. He says, be merciful even as your father is merciful. Another word for merciful is be compassionate. Be compassionate like the Father, as your Father is compassionate. As fathers, how full is your compassion tank towards your kids, towards others? You know, one thing that they don't tell you when you become a dad, there's a lot of things they don't tell you, by the way, a lot, a lot of things they don't tell you. But one of those things in particular they don't tell you when you become a parent is that every moment isn't created equal, that there are defining moments that you know of, like if there's an engagement or a wedding or a graduation or this. Those are ones that hopefully you have some fair warning and there's a calendar and you can, def- you can kind of like plan for that defining moment. But one of the things they don't tell you is that any given day there can be defining moments, but they're not on your calendar or schedule. They just show up. And these are not pre-scheduled, but they're just there. This father, it says, that he would look for his son not knowing and invites us to use our sanctified imagination into the story to look and to be able to see that this father had no idea if and when his son would ever is going to return, but it didn't stop the father from looking, being prepared for the one day that just might happen to be this day. You know, one of the things that all of us have to understand is when I read this story, my heart is moved by the love of the Father for us as fathers and as individuals. You know, I don't think any father, even the best one among us, whoever that is, I don't think one father woke up today and had this word, like this this thought in their heart or in their mind, Father's Day crushed it, nailed it. Like you, I wake up with tremendous, tremendous humility on a day like today. One of the things that I do as a dad that Jesus is consistently working on in me is I love my kids so much. When they were younger, say they were learning to ride a bicycle, and off they would go, and you know, 
you'd run behind them for a little bit and let them go, and then they wobble, 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 right? If they would fall or even they would get into an accident or whatever, my heart of protection felt such intensity that I would come out, and it would almost be as though I'm angry with them. And Lori would look at me like, dial it down. Like, they just fell off their bike. They're hurt. And it's like you're mad at them for getting hurt. I'm like, no, I just... But it would come out almost like that. Like, what are you doing? Why were you doing it that way? What? And they're like, do you think I tried to do this? Space. <laughs> On cue. As my children get older, from 21 to 15... I still have to work at that intensity that comes out when my eyes get wide and my voice gets loud. And afterwards, Lori will say to me sometimes afterwards, like, do you think that's a wise thing to do? Like, you're, you're, you want them to come closer, but like you're getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So as a dad, we all have stuff we got to work on. This one too. As a father who does his best, but has missed some moments. Here's what I have come to embrace after falling short. Just show up again. But when you show up, show back up at home and in humility. Never be afraid to apologize to your kids. Men, apologizing isn't a sign of weakness. It is a Christ-like characteristic. Embrace it. It is a sign of strength to look your kids in the eyes and say, I'm sorry, how have I hurt your heart? That is not on you, that's on me. That is a powerful thing that we as fathers can do. One characteristic of the father that I admire so deeply is his humility. As we've already read, and the son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son, here's the gospel in this line, and I pray you see it, whether you're here or at home. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found Salvation is not about being a good person, a better person, even a better person than you are right now. That's not what salvation is about. Ultimately, salvation is not about being good. It's about being alive in Christ because there's dead in Christ or alive in Christ. That is it. There is lost and there is found. That is it. There is being outside the home, at home in something else, or being at home in the affection of the Father through the work of the Son. That is it. So home is the gift of belonging. Salvation, excuse me, is the gift of belonging. It's the gift of being at home in Christ. Everyone is at home in something, somewhere, someone. A question for all of us to reflect on today is, where is my heart at home? You know, as a dad, sometimes I sadly act less like the father and more like the elder brother, getting ra angry rather than being honest. Because this is a story about two sons. One runs in rebellion and squander. The other, leave, never, as I said, never leaves the property, but his heart is disconnected from the father. Your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. It says, but this elder son was angry and he refused to go in. 
What does the father do with the elder son? He does the same thing that he did with the younger son. It says he came out and entreated him. He runs towards the younger son. And in this case, the love of the father is actually moving once again towards the elder son. In the parable that Jesus is telling, he is saying the love of the father is being pushed out towards those who are tax collectors and sinners who know they are in need of salvation. And to the religious, self-righteous individuals, the love of the father is also pursuing you because you're lost, but you just don't know it. It's powerful. The elder son only sees what he's losing. And make no mistake, the elder son is losing a lot. Simple math. He has two sons. One has already taken 50% of the inheritance and lost it. He's now returned back. The father's welcomed him back as a son, which means the inheritance now is going to get divided again. In the story that Jesus is telling, those who understood inheritance and math were like, yeah, he's got right to be upset. But righteousness isn't so much concerned simply about just what is right. It's what is ultimate. Again, the elder son sees only what he's losing, which in this case is more inheritance, not what he has gained, which is his brother. Remember, what you're looking for, you find. And can we just admit in a moment of honesty on Father's Day that the world is pretty fed up. It's pretty fed up with the church functioning like elder brothers and not like the father. The church is, the, the world is, is pretty fed up with the church acting holier than thou rather than one amongst us. But by the grace of God, I go. The challenge in the church today, again, is too many times we act like the elder son with one another rather than what we really need is the character of the father. So let me close here. Remember, the prodigal son is a story about two sons. And if you will just give me one more push... I would actually say the prodigal son is a story about three sons. There's the two in the story, and then there's the son who's telling the story. There's the narrator of the story who is the most significant one in the story. Because in love, this son named Jesus, he also left his father's house, and he went to a foreign place, and he gave away all that he had. And he returned to his father's house through the work of the cross, paying the penalty that I deserve, that you deserve, in order so that you and I can be welcomed and embraced by the father himself. In humility, though Jesus could be self-righteous, he is nothing but loving towards us. Because Jesus said, if you've seen me, guess who you've seen? You've seen the father. So in humility, Jesus was also our better elder brother who willingly paid the price for all of God's fallen children to be welcomed, homed, and received. And you know what we receive? Our full inheritance as sons and daughters of God. John 10, 14, 15 says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. 
So my prayer on this Father's Day, men, is this. Lord, help us to love more like the Father. And how do we do this? We do this by following Jesus. This is how we become more like the Father. By following Jesus, this is how we become. This is how we forgive the unforgivable. By following Jesus, this is how we become better dads ourselves. Men, I'm here to tell you today that the greatest decision is not just to start following Jesus. That's the greatest decision. But the ongoing best decision you can make with your life is not in your career. It isn't in your finances. And it's not in any other sphere. Though it impacts every one of those spheres, the greatest decision that you can make is to continue to follow Jesus all the days of your imperfect life. To keep growing in your Christ-likeness. Another thing that the world is sick of is men who are intoxicated on their power, on their own authority, on their own ego, on their own privilege. They're done with all of it. The world is crying out for men not to be more macho, but to be more like Christ. Because there's one single thing that you will find that is the common denominator with Jesus is that there was not a single person who got around him who was in a vulnerable condition that he took advantage of one iota. He is the ultimate picture of a man. Why? Because he knew what ultimately love was. And so as men, the world may not have the right words, but I'm telling you right now, they are crying out for us to continue to commit ourselves to be following Jesus. I am glad that you decided to follow Jesus 37 years ago, 17 years ago, or 17 days ago. Men, my challenge is continue following Jesus every day of your imperfect life. Could you imagine if 50 men, if 100 men, if 200 men between this Father's Day and next Father's Day said that they were going to make their heart at home in God's love and then from there lean fully into being more like Jesus. I'm telling you, it could transform hearts, homes, neighborhoods, and cities. It is what God desires to do. And here's what I want you to know, men. This is my last challenge for those of you here at home. I know I've gone a little bit long, but here's what I want to say. I am so grateful. I am so grateful for every single woman. When you look at that, the church is built through women. There's absolutely no question. If you look at the church history, you can see it. It's resplendent with example after example after example. But men, I want you to know that your following Jesus doesn't have to look like someone of a different gender. It can look like you, but lean in. Why? Because you're needed and you're necessary in the game. You may pray differently than your spouse or differently, but we need you to be praying. You may witness differently than someone else, but we need you to witness. You may stand against spiritual conflict in a different way than a different gender. You may do it quietly and not with as much boistering, but we need you engaged. You may not worship like this. You may worship like this, but worship you is needed. Pour out your heart. Men, you're needed in the fight. You're needed in the game. It doesn't have to look like someone else's, but we need you. I know, I know, I just fell right into a stereotype. Women, Mother's Day, it's like, women are awesome. Men, it's like, do better. Men, I'm not, uh, men, I'm not, I'm not saying do better. What I'm saying, men, is trust deeper. What I'm saying, men, is lean in, like, just trust more, lean in more. Because again, we need you.
Heavenly Father, help us as men, imperfect men, who share one name with you, and that is the name Father. Lord, help us live up to that name by being humble enough to recognize in ourselves we don't have it. But in Christ, we have more than we need. Amen.